This week, talking to the USO about how thinking digital first has really informed their impact and fundraising strategies. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. We have a great conversation with Adam Faircloth, the senior digital strategist, and Beth Palmasano, the director of integrated fundraising, about how they approach uh, the digital thinking and strategy of the USO. We focus on one particular campaign in here that uh, the USO asks Americans to share messages of support. I want to disclose, though, that you know we, we drop a couple of jargony pieces that I'm just going to remind our well-informed audience about, uh, CMS, CRM, and API. So when we talk about a CMS, that is basically your website like WordPress or Drupal or something that allows you to control a content management system of your site. A CRM, a constituent resource management, is something like a, you know, think about a, a robust sort of Salesforce plus an email engine like Pardot or MailChimp or something to that effect that lets you send and manage uh, your database uh, and messaging. Finally, uh, the API, think of that as just the translation layer that lets one machine, one server talk to another one. It shows us, all right, how do I send a request to that database over there and get the information I need, just as sort of, you know, plumbing gets water from A to B. Alrighty, with that, jumping into the podcast, lots of great ideas shared, and I'm excited for us to get into it. I'm thrilled today. With our guests from the USO, Adam Faircloth, Senior Digital Strategist, and Beth Paul Misano, Director of Integrated Fundraising. How's it going, you two? Hey, great to, great to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks, George. All right, so as we get started, Beth, can you explain what a Director of Integrated Fundraising does? I would love to. So here at the USO, the Director of Integrated Fundraising, or me, my role, I am responsible for any revenue driven by digital channels for the general public, or what we call the core donor segment. So when you think of things like email or paid advertising or our search, um, anything related to revenue and digital is under the digital integrated fundraising channel or me. <laughs> or me. And Adam, all things technical, what is the senior digital strategist at USO uh, tasked yeah. with? Yes. To have someone in a position that was looking across the organization as a whole and thinking about how we're applying technology and the, the new types of tactics and approaches that come out of like what the internet has given us to think about how we can change our business model across all different areas of our business and you know, engage our customers, whether that be the, the donor population, our supporters, or the military population that we support, um, engage them differently in, in a way that aligns with how the customer buying journey has changed and the way that their behaviors have shifted more towards digital interactions. And so I uh, work with the different departments of the organization looking for ways to, to change how they do what they've been doing so well. We definitely work closely together. Yes. <laughs> There's a reason you're both on the podcast. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Spoiler alert. 
All right. And for those of us who have been living under a rock for the past 77 years, how do you describe what the USO does? I'll, I'll, put, uh, I'll put Beth on the spot. Okay, so our mission is really to strengthen service members by connecting them to family, home, and country. Our tradition for supporting service members stretches back to 1941, like you said, George, 77 years, and we're really in place to boost the military's morale. We're most famous for our entertainment pillar, but we're also on the ground with service members every day, making sure they feel connected to family, home, and country. Thank you. Yeah, and I think, you know, where I constantly see the USO is in the 200-plus locations that you were, like, literally in every airport that I that I go through, big and small, which is uh, which is obviously awesome. And uh, so in this adventure, right, you would think of the USO maybe from a certain lens of, like, oh, you know, it's uh, pretty much run the play with regard to increasing morale. How, you know, how do you bring in technology to this organization and, and begin to shift it? And and the people that are listening, I think uh, older organizations have incredible advantages with brand value, but also, as you know, every decade that goes by, you know, those habits form in the technology of the time and we're not likely to change it. So can you talk about that shift from your point of view, Adam? Sure. I think one of the the best examples to provide is in the, the recent years, we looked at how we could start to, to shift the way that our, our military population traffics through our centers. Um, historically, we, we used paper forms and we weren't collecting any real information on them. So we weren't able to learn what were the different trends in consumption, what were the reasons that they were showing up in our, our locations around the world. Uh, we weren't able to learn how frequently they as individuals were coming through. And to, to be perfectly honest, until very recently, we didn't know specifically how many individuals we, we were able to serve each year. Um, but we did know the number of service instances, the, the touches that we would have per year. So we definitely knew from that sense the outputs and or yeah, outputs and impact. But in the past two years, we've actually stood up a CRM system and put a front end for data collection there, where we've been able to establish profiles for everybody coming through and uh, make check-ins, so letting us know why they're there, that like make that much faster for them so people can get in the door and enjoy the services and programs that we offer. Um, but then also allow us to have real-time data where historically it was quarterly reporting, meaning that we can now make decisions around staffing within centers, um, the need to expand centers to make sure that we're providing better services, also informing the different types of programs and services that we develop, or if there's some that we need to modify because of the, the feedback or even the, the consumption trends that we see associated with it. And so for us, it's been a matter of thinking about what are these well-defined things that are sort of core to the business that we deliver, and how can we make that easier for our customer, and also then use it to inform the decisions about what we make what we continue to do and what we modify and what we actually stop doing because it's not actually relevant to that audience anymore. And so I think that's been really sort of transformational for our mission delivery in the past couple of years. And maybe, you know, share as much as you can on this from a strategy point of view. You know, uh, you know, the staff comes in and out and then there's the executive side of things. Uh, and where did that conversation in Genesis really come from? Because this seems like a recent acceleration in terms of digitization uh, for the purposes of listening and for the purposes of responding to, to your audience. Where, like, where, what was the first domino to fall? I think there were some leadership changes that preceded 
both Beth and myself, um, where we had a, a new CEO come in who had a background in technology and understood the, the catalyst that it can be for progress. And it also then started to, to then sort of roll out to the other parts of our business where we started to say, we as an organization need to prioritize digital because that's where our, our audience lives. And we need to integrate it into our business because it'll allow us to be to be faster, to scale, and also to be more measurable and, and in some cases more efficient. And so I think it was uh, a function of, of leadership seeing the value in that and then us being able to identify some of the well-defined processes that we had that had very clear pain points that could be addressed by injecting technology into them. Nice. Yeah, I think it's always helpful because you see it from both directions. Uh, but you know, classically, it's it's a bit faster and more you know, more manageable when the when the executive team is on board and you don't have to to twist any twist any arms at least at the top levels. I wonder if we can't turn to the example of the the pre written messages of support uh, that you know has I feel like has changed the USO's. Uh, direct response efforts. You know, can you can you talk us through that, Beth? Sure. So, for our 75th anniversary, we were brainstorming, and when I say we, I mean them because I wasn't here yet. Um, a way to engage with the American public um, around the USO mission, specifically our Connect pillar, making sure that the service members everywhere could hear from the American public and that the American public could send a thanks or well wishes or I'm thinking of you to service members. So our campaign to connect 75th anniversary campaign was born with the goal of collecting 1 million messages for from the American public to our service members that year. And well, it took off um, in more ways than one. It, it was a great rallying cry for the entire organization to, to come around and, and work together. And one aspect of that, the aspect related to my role with direct response was sending a message to a service member. Was It was attractive to a group of people who would be interested in the USO mission and learning more about the USO mission and being educated on the USO mission beyond our entertainment pillar. So with the signing of the card action, we were also able to understand who would be interested in learning more about the USO and getting them as part of our digital file so that we could continue to email them and educate them on everything the USO does, send them regular updates, newsletters, and yes, some fundraising asks from this group of people who are interested in our mission. So since then, we've collected more than 3 million messages for service members. Um, and we've been able to connect with, through email, through paid advertising, these constituents who um, are interested in our mission. That's awesome. And then, Adam, maybe you can fill in on the back end how you know technically this actually looked and ran. Yeah, sure. So we we created a message form within our, you know, just using our CMS environment. And um, the different forms are then pushed out on the various channels that we might be collecting messages from. And then we're actually passing it into our, 
our CRM via some API calls. Um, but prior to doing that, there's actually sort of a staging environment, which we refer to as our message platform, which is what we have to do because every message, uh, particularly those that are custom messages from the American public, we wanted to make sure that we were reviewing them. And so we, we staged them there and we have a review system in place where we're using some, some outsourced help, but then also we created a, a like tender style swipe left swipe right for messages this is amazing this is so that you could I'm so happy i asked this <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's something that people don't use as much as i i would have liked but we we decided to make it really easy so we built this mobile friendly like tender style swipe left swipe left message approval platform that we we had a number of our volunteers help us and so all of these things allow us to then flag our messages as you know acceptable for fulfillment or if we needed to reject them because perhaps the message wasn't necessarily what we wanted to distribute out to our locations around the world, well then we, we would flag those and those wouldn't be then approved for fulfillment. Um, once we have this this batch of messages on, on different intervals based on seasonality or just quantity received, uh, we're pushing these out through a number of different channels to, to fulfill them. Uh, we're using uh, website that we've created that just will will scroll through sort of a ticker of messages that we are displaying on our computers and all of our centers. And then we've also created a, a digital frame network. So like you think about the digital picture frames that people have in their homes. Well, we have about 200 of those around the world that we are pushing playlist of messages so that we can um, get those out to, to service members. And then the other one that's pretty interesting that we've just recently started doing, which I, I'm pretty excited about, is we are working with a startup in the D.C. area, uh, Sandbox. And they, what they do is they actually have a mobile app where people can connect with their family who is in boot camp and can send them messages very quickly through their app. Um, through the generosity of Sandbox, they actually have given us access to their fulfillment platform and that we're also looking at how we can deliver messages overnight to recruits and boot camps in the United States. Um, and we've actually in introduced a way for the service members to reply back. We've given them a reply device. And so far we're starting to get some letters come back and it's been nothing but really positive feedback on the messages, which has been really encouraging for us here as we've been doing this for a couple of years and it's often hard to get the, the feedback on whether or not this really resonates with them. But we're starting to see some good results coming out of the, the boot camps there and also they are so excited about it that they want to like send us the names of their their fellow recruit and say, can you send a note to this person as well? So mm. uh, we're really excited about this this opportunity for a new fulfillment channel in addition to those we've been doing. Yeah, I love you know this is just quintessential whole whale podcast material. I'm so excited to sort of get this story out because you know you're you're getting into the nuance of it. It's not just hey, let's just collect a bunch of messages and send it over. There's elements of quality control. How do we scale it? How do we maintain it? And how do we grow it over time rather than a one and done? Uh, it seems like you've adopted this as part of uh, the machinery of impact as well as list building, which we're going to get to. But I, I wanted to make sure because I think that's a, a thing that I thought was really important to to stress, which is in addition to the the impact on the fulfillment side of it, which you know we're very we're very happy to see that we've been able to do this and we can fulfill these over three million messages. Um, I think that part of the secret and why this is such an interesting thing from talking to the American public is because of exactly that, right? Like that when we think about the different types of interactions we can have with our supporters out there who we're asking to help 
um, you know, participate in this this thing that we're doing and contribute to it, that we're not coming to them directly with this, you know, beat them over the head with a monetary ask, but rather we're, we're showing them the opportunity to participate in something that is part of the mission directly. And I think that that's why it's been such a compelling thing. And I think that's a really important thing to call out because it's, there are other examples of these kinds of things that, that organizations do, but I think that what I'm really proud of is that we've been able to take something that does drive our online engagement from a supporter base, mm-hmm. but doing so in such a way that it's they each individually are, are directly like doing something in support of our mission. They're yeah. part. Beth, can you talk about how you, you do shepherd, frankly, 3 million conversations from the, wait a minute, I thought I was just sending a one-time message to, I'm going to pull you up the commitment curve. Sure, sure. They so, get an email from me. <laughs> hey, I'm Beth. Give money. I believe you're the yeah, first, I'm the first email, email in the welcome yeah, I'm the series. first email signer. In so the, the short series. answer is Adam Faircloth is how we steward these three million people. Um, but honestly, we have learned a ton from from when this kicked off, and we continue to learn every day. Um, it's really important for us to respect these people as you know they enter our our digital file and our our digital conversation, as I like to call it. Um, we we don't want them to only receive um, give to the USO USO appeal messages. We really want to um, move them along the path of perhaps curious to more engaged to then committed. So we do that through um, mostly our email file, our our email messaging stream with engagement messages, ensuring they know why the USO exists, why we're there, how we're there in ways that they know we're there and how we may be there in other ways um, with newsletters, with appeals as well. So I would say that from the point where they sign the card, we try to be as welcoming, but also as respectful to the inbox as as we can. And um, we've seen through some trial and error and through some testing, the right mix of appeals and engagement to shepherd this file. So I have to, I, I feel like channel the people listening, especially those that are working on digital fundraising, uh, what is the secret sauce? You know, how many messages have you kind of rested on that that work? And what are some of the KPIs, the the indicators of success that have come out of uh, this particular campaign on the fundraising side? My huge thing is that I don't want our digital supporters to feel like ATM machines, that I'm coming to them with a need for money all the time. That is many times that I'm asking them for money. I'm also thanking them and then also telling them about our mission and why it's important that they're there. I don't necessarily know if that's secret sauce, but it's a way for us to um, really think of it as more of a conversation. George, I want to, I want to, push on this a little bit because I think you actually aren't giving yourself enough credit here because I think that part of this is not, I mean, yes, part of it is the engagement that happens after they send the message. Yes. But given the the nature of this, this initial interaction is happening online and specifically on social media primarily mm-hmm. um, through paid. 
you're intentionally targeting. And I think the, the special sauce is actually understanding who is who this message is going to resonate with and then being able to effectively target and reach them. Because the reason that things happen downstream is because you're so smart about understanding the message for that audience. It makes it much easier to have that conversation down the road. That's I think all that, right. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> you're right. Awesome. Yeah. So how many, for example, how many giving appeals do you do in a given year? I will say that we do one appeal campaign a month. Mm-hmm. And they vary. Mm-hmm. Our campaigns in... January look different than our campaigns in December. Cool. And then can you tell me about the the message frequency or how do you control frequency based on engagement or segmentation? We really pay attention to how people are interacting with with the email itself. So if you're interacting with it on a normal basis, then your frequency will continue um, to be higher. If you aren't interacting with it, then we'll definitely drop you down to a slower stream of messages. And then if that does not convert you, and when I say convert, I mean click or have you engage with the USO in some way, then we'll drop it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And what is the range of frequency? Is this like, does it go up? What is, what is dialing up to 11 look like if I'm on like the, the most emails Beth can write me? I would say <laughs> the most emails that I could write to one person in a month on average, taking your end out of the equation would be eight to 10. Eight to 10 a month. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And you're obviously like not sending that to 3 million people, but you're sending that to a significant size, correct? We are. And then you said, well, all all thing all bets are off at the end of the year. Something tells me the the frequency goes into uh, goes into maximum strength. Can you talk about some of the the testing and strategies as we come up to our end of year uh, as we as we release this podcast? Uh, what is what is the email strategy as you move into the you know giving season? Our email strategy is different definitely for our different segments. We have some really specific tactics and strategies in place for our prospect audience that are different than our active donor audience. Um, But across the board during the last few months of the year, um, the KPIs that we are definitely focused on are um, our revenue, of course. And um, we have a lot of interesting tests at play to stay a little bit more top line. My goal is to be there in the inbox on Facebook, on search, on other social channels when those donors and prospects are looking for that that time to give. So how can I make sure that we're present and we're top of mind? Mm-hmm. Sort of land, land, sea, and air, as it were, once, uh, once giving season is in, is in play. I think that's definitely fair. Anything else to add, Adam, on the on the analytics side and segmenting, right? We're, we're talking about it in vague terms. Uh, are there particular segments where you're like, all right, these are engaged, semi-engaged, and not? Uh, are there any other uh, tactics that you're using with regard to demographics or behavior? I think primarily, I don't know that we have been wading too much into some other things. I think a lot of the time we've been spending this year has actually been thinking about 
where are the gaps in our existing audience base and what are the, like what's the thing that's why isn't that working right why aren't we reaching them is it the wrong message is it the wrong channel and so we've we've spent a lot of time this year talking about like how do we cultivate that audience of the future because just as we are thinking about at, we need to shift more and more to be more of a digital organization because that's how we will be the organization of the future. We want to have that next 77 years. Um, you know, we also need to be able to reach people for the next 77 years. And who is that next group who this message will resonate with? And so I think more of our time in the, in, you know, the past few months has been thinking about how do we start to reach them and what are the different things that we can do in the, you know, the remainder of this year and into next year to start to, to test different content and different engagement tactics. Gotcha. And I think there was some, some mention there about uh, being on social and being on search. You know, is this paid advertising? Is this uh, part of some other strategy that you're you're working on as well to, to surround potential donors? I think more and more everything we're doing just as I think what would be no surprise to most is, is more – leaning more into paid as a whole, we're, we're starting to think more about not just action or direct ask through paid, but how can we start to use paid to extend our reach with awareness? So how can we start to in, inform the audience who's not familiar with us more about our mission and the value of, of what our organization is doing by using paid to reach them because we currently don't touch them in the different channels that we, you know, they're not part of our existing owned audience. And so I think we are looking more at the reality of of online being more paid to play. Interesting. Uh, Beth, before we move into our rapid fire, I'm curious, uh, what kind of numbers can you share with regard to the success uh, in terms of dollars raised from, you know, your, your email efforts? I'm not going to share specific dollars, but I will say that our digital program continues to grow, um, not only in size, but revenue year over year. And individual fundraising becoming more and more important from the digital landscape year over year. Absolutely. So what kind of, can you give me a percent growth that uh, you've been seeing? So it has varied, but it's been about 20% growth, depending on the audience year over year. That's, uh, that's pretty darn good, actually. I think most of us would take that, uh, given that you can double up in, uh, in about five uh, every five years. That's fantastic. All righty. Uh, before we move into rapid fire, Adam, any, any other final thoughts on, on the strategies uh, that you've seen and, and how that's rippled through the organization with regard to uh, adopting a, a digital first, potentially uh, thinking to, to what, you're, what you're working on? Yeah, I think that one of the things that's been most surprising as I have taken on this role of, of digital strategy for the USO is that as much as people tend to focus on the, the digital side of that, um, it's more about strategy, really, which is just you know strategic planning and things of that nature, but that it's even beyond that, it's more about how do you change the culture. So it's getting people to think about how they do their, their work differently and getting people to be comfortable with not accepting orthodoxies. I think one of the, the most interesting things is how so many people are afraid to ask why. Um, I, I feel like people are, if when asked to do something, are, just feel like they have to be 
compliant. They just have to do it. And I think that people perceive asking why is a, a challenge to the request, but rather I, I think I have to try to coach people that like asking why isn't necessarily you resisting, but rather you seeking to understand to to make it more effective. If I don't know what you're trying to achieve, if I don't ask why we're doing something, how can I really be committed to the outcome of it? How can I know that the the steps taken to achieve it is the the best approach? And so getting people comfortable with examining what they do and what they're being asked to do and like being comfortable with asking questions about it and being in, invested in what they're doing has been more meaningful than talking about well, what's the coolest tool we could use. Um, you know, the technology is great, but if we're not changing our approach to how we achieve the work, then it's just a different tool. It really just becomes digital enablement. It's not really digital transformation. And so you're not going to move the organization forward. You might just make it cheaper. And so I think that's been kind of the thing that I've had to come to terms with and like to communicate to others and, and get people to embrace. And I, I think people really sort of light up when you start to just prompt them to say, well, ask why. And they're like, yeah, why, why don't we do that? And right in there, that's the first time they're saying the why, right? And so I think that like it, the more people can do that and then start to unpack what what it is and what the problem we're solving, then you can come up with really creative ways to address those things. Yeah, I love the the why not framework is uh, very, very accessible. And I love that as a strategy. Okay, rapid fire time. I hope you both are ready. Okay. No, but let's do it. No, we are not. <laughs> okay, first up, Adam, uh, what is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Yeah, so we've we've tried a few, um, thanks to some great recommendations from the whole whale team, but not you weren't in looking for a plug. Um, one of the ones that I would highlight though is we we started using Crazy Egg. We it's a it'll do heat mapping. It'll try it'll like record visitors when they come to your website. You can start to see scroll depth or like the different things that are being clicked on a page, and it's really been able to inform like what are the user interactions and how can we optimize to make sure that we're putting the right actions that we want users to take. Uh, to put that in front of them. That's really allowed us to level up a lot of the different campaigns and landing pages as well as our homepage. And so we've been really excited about that. Um, so I, yeah, I think that's one. Brilliant. All righty. What tech dragons do you need to slay in the coming year? In the coming year? Um, I think that for us, we've we've been looking at more and more how we can consolidate some of the different systems that we have in place. We, we have a couple of different places where we're doing landing pages and um, we have different ways in which like even those campaign to connect messages, we have different systems that are collecting. We're having to do a lot of data integration and then aggregating things from different places. Uh, our focus has been more about how do we consolidate our systems down so that we can spend more time talking about the strategic like utilization of the of the resource instead of how do we just do the, the the data management or even just the like administration of of multiple systems. So I would say thinking about how we can be more consistent, consolidated, and streamlined in our in our web presence is a, a really big thing for us next year. Amen. <laughs> All right, Beth. If I were to toss you in the hot tub time machine and send you back to the Beth that started off with getting those 3 million messages 
and starting off your email campaigning with them, what advice would you give that Beth? I would tell her that, like I said earlier, it's a conversation. Not while it's a fundraising program, it is really important to treat all of our constituents like they like who they are, the USO supporter that they are. Um, so when things get rocky and bumpy, just remember the mission and that we're here um, to help the service members and the fact that we get to connect so many Americans with our servicemen and women is a great reason to come to work in the morning. So if it gets hairy, think of that. All right, Adam, talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things today. I think one of the things, and I don't know if it's a direct a direct tie, but it actually does inform how I approach things now, is that there was a, a moment, I, I was a consultant before moving into the nonprofit world, and there was a moment in time where I was doing a redesign of a, a tech system that was uh, for the federal government, and it was deployed around the, well, sorry, excuse me, it's the DOD, and it was deployed around the world. And I went into the design of the system, just focused on how I could make it the most efficient, collapse it down to be the most like the smallest system possible that would cost the least amount, require the fewest number of, of servers. And I didn't consider that there would be other more important things because I was so focused on the tech solution. Um, and so I didn't think about the long-term like sustainability and operations of the systems themselves. I didn't think about its ability to achieve the business outcomes or even um, because I was so focused on just making it the most efficient thing ever. And I think that that's then translated into where I spend significantly more time before I ever build anything, whether it's a process, a user flow, or actually a tech system, thinking about well, what do I want to achieve and that being cost effective is not always the most important. It's important, but there could be greater things um, and that making sure that I am aware of what the greater outcomes are that I'm seeking and also how do I measure them, like having the instrumentation in place. Um, that's just sort of something that I learned off of that is even though as I became more thoughtful about the design and the intent, um, I also had to have the analytics to inform, to create that feedback loop into what I do in the future. And that's something that sort of was a, a couple of stumbles, I guess, all in. All right, Beth, what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? Informational interviews, they're, especially if you're in the D.C. area or big city, there are tons of nonprofits and people love talking about themselves. So if you can cold call or network and find people to meet with um, in the sector that you're interested, especially the nonprofit sector, we're super friendly and it's a great way to get an interview before an interview. So when jobs are available, that you're the first person they think of. I'm going to hijack hers and say, volunteer. It's a great way to learn the mission of an organization and be able to speak to it so that if you do get to the opportunity to interview, you already kind of have worked there in a different sense. All right. To both of you, what is something you think your organization should stop doing? We often just do all the things and that we need to spend more time thinking about why we do stuff and also being able to evaluate how effective they are so that we're we start to shift our time and focus to doing the right things. So having those measures and, and goals 
in the instrumentation to be able to track them so you know that like everything you apply time to does result in something um and so i i think we've been really smart about that in certain areas and i think that we want to be in our moving towards being smart about that broadly but i think that that's something that you constantly have to invest in and uh, refresh and double down on and so i think that my answer would be I, I hope we stop doing all the things and we continue to aspire to just do the right things and to build i would say i i think we should maybe not stop but minimize any silos between different departments or different work streams there are so many interesting and important things that we're all working on and that build on each other. So the more we can work together and consolidate when, when possible, the better. Awesome. Alrighty. Finally, we have, I, Oh, one of my favorite questions, actually, uh, do you believe nonprofits can successfully go out of business? I hope so. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Alrighty. Last question, how do people find you? How do people help you? Well, since we were talking about our campaign to connect, if anyone is interested in sending a message to a service member, um, visit usl.org backslash force. Please send a message today. Well done. All righty. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. You shared some great things. You were uh, super transparent, which you know our audience appreciates. Thanks, George. Yeah, thank you. Nice chatting. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. as always by the talented greg thomas music.org thanks buddy you're awesome your music is perfect never change